We are in Ephesians chapter 3. Made it through two chapters, two great chapters thus far. Do you see how habits are established in your life, either for the good or for the bad? I, I certainly see it. You do something every day, you do something at a certain time or all day long, and it starts to become a part of who you are. And sometimes habits start and we don't even want to keep that habit. It's something that inadvertently begins or the enemy sneaks in on us and soon we start to develop a habit that isn't good for us in the Lord. It's not, it's not building us up. Last, this last week I got rid of my Holter heart monitor. So for two weeks I had to always keep this, it looked like a phone with me all the time. Otherwise it wouldn't pick up the device that was you know, taped to me right here. And just after 14 days of not having that with me, I, I felt a little lost. <laughs> I, wh wh where's my monitor? Oh, I, I'm not wearing that anymore. Uh oh, because it couldn't be more than, you know, five, maybe 10 feet at the most from me. So I tried to keep it in my pocket. I'm like, oh, I got two phones with me. I got my wallet. I got my keys. You know, it's like a walking storehouse. But just after 14 days, I was used to having that with me all the time. And then on the 15th and even the 16th, 17th day, I'm like, where's my monitor? Let that truth about daily doing the things you know are good be used in your life. And there are many things that you know are good for you in the Lord. It's good for you to read and meditate and study the word of God every day. And if you will do it every day, and there are different studies. I don't need the studies to know that when something is done daily, it begins to be a habit. You'll start to have that good habit. And if you study the word for 14 days, even if it's not that long of a time, you meditate on it, when you get up, you'll miss it. You'll miss him when you don't do it. Isn't that true? And you'll say, something's awry. I'm missing something and that good establishment, that good consistency in our lives is part of, of what we need. And so when we come together, we, we don't come together every day, most of us, and we're reminding ourselves, what are the good, strong habits, the things that build you up to make you walk with the Lord more closely, to, to make you near to him, hear his voice that much better? Every once in a while, I slip in and, and sing with the kids. Today was one of those days. Sing with your kids. The teenagers come in late, not because they're loafing. They've been here for an hour, but they're leading those kids in worship. Sing those songs with your kids all week long so that they're saying to you, how come we're not singing today? Isn't that something good for your, your kid to ask you? Instead of, why are we singing today? It sh should be, why are we singing? Why, why didn't we have our, our devotion tonight? Well, if we'd ever have the habit, we never miss that devotion, Right? We've filled our lives with other habits that can take away from some of the best stuff God has given us. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Number one, listen to the sacrificial leader's plea. I'll give you five actions this morning from the Word of God. Listen to Paul. He is a sacrificial leader. And he is pleading with you as he was pleading with the Ephesians. How do we know that he is indeed a sacrificial leader? He brings up that he's in chains, that he's in prison. 
Why does he do that? Why does he mention again that he is in bondage, that he's incarcerated? He does that because he wants us to receive the message that he is about to give. He doesn't want us to take it lightly. He's not mentioning that he's in prison so that we'll exalt him or so that we'll think he's wonderful. Because later in this very chapter, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. Not just the least of the apostles, but the least of the saints. So he doesn't mention his imprisonment to try to get us to think a lot of him. He does it so we won't easily dismiss the truth that, he has, that, that he's writing, that he is sending out. This truth cost him dearly. And he is currently in jail, penning what he is putting here. Now, the most important consideration for receiving this is that it's from God. But Paul is not afraid to buttress the case with the truth that he himself is also sacrificing for the well-being, the spiritual well-being of those he's writing to. That's powerful, isn't it? Aren't you more prone to listen to a sacrificial leader's plea? You are. I consider the times when Mac Phillips has been able to be here two times at our church, and he's talking about what ministry is like in Nigeria. And he speaks of fathers and sons just being gunned down right where people are worshiping. He, he speaks of, of daughters being kidnapped. And you hear and you see the sacrifice, and you understand that the church is still moving forward in that country to do the will of God. That's a plea given from a minister that is sacrificing in a huge way. That's what Paul was doing right here, isn't it? I want you to pray for Pastor Peter and Pastor Andrew from Sierra Leone. Now there's less persecution there, but still I pray that their visas will be approved so that they can come here. I know that it could be good for them, but it'll be good for us too, won't it? To not just send money, but to hear the plea of that person who's currently sacrificing greatly for our sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus himself. Now, it's not that way right here now for us, because you may think Eddie's going home after service to sip a latte and, and have a pedicure or something. He probably had a really <laughs> normal Saturday, just went Christmas shopping cocoa by the fire or something like that. So there's not really that same dynamic happening here. It's not that there isn't any sacrifice, but it's just that there's not the massive type of sacrifice that we're seeing here in the scriptures. No beatings yet, no imprisonment yet, no execution yet, not being shackled. Consider the implications of your spiritual mentor being jailed for a cause that is related to your spiritual well-being. Whoever that person is, a pastor, an elder, a teacher, now your Christianity has been turned into a crime punishable by imprisonment or even death. In what ways would the enemy tempt you if the person that you looked up to in the Lord were, were suffering in that kind of manner? What, how would the enemy try to use that to his advantage doesn't the word give us the answer in this very chapter? What verse is that in? Look at verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Well, 
if your pastor, mentor, leader, whoever that person would be in the Lord were in jail, you would be tempted to, we already read the answer, so just be willing to just say like, to lose heart, to be discouraged, to say, you know what, maybe I'll just cool it a little bit. Maybe I won't forge forward. Maybe I'll lay low. Because now I've seen the cost of, of the calling. Now I've seen what's happened to others, even those who are leading me in the Lord. And Paul is saying, don't let my tribulation bring you down. Instead, it's for your glory. Because the truth that I'm in prison is proof that you should be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm here because of the work that God has started in you. And it's a worthwhile work. So this is actually for glory. That you would glory and say, God cares so much for me that he gave this servant that he might be imprisoned so I could hear and grow. This would have boosted the Ephesians mentality, wouldn't it? Certainly. If Pastor Paul can call his imprisonment glory, we can use it for glory, right? Paul is saying that his imprisonment is for glory and he hasn't even been released. Now, I would expect a lot of glory if he got out of jail, wouldn't you? I don't know what it's like to get out of jail, but I can think that it would be pretty good to be released. Do you see the story just yesterday of the two men from Georgia who were imprisoned for 25 years, uh, falsely convicted, and they've been in jail since they were 17, I think, and now they're 42 years old, and, and they were released. Can you even think about the the glory of getting out after 25 years of, of being in for something that you didn't do. One of them said he wanted a chicken salad sandwich. The other said he wanted some Krispy Kreme donuts. They didn't at all know how to use a smartphone. Was that 1997? Totally different world they're stepping into. And both of them said that they weren't angry. They, they weren't bitter. I was astounded by that. But their glory was in getting out, wasn't it? Paul is still incarcerated, still shackled, yet he is rejoicing. It's not based on his release, is it? We could understand that kind of glory, but it's not based on him being released. It's based on what he has in Jesus, the wealth of the grace that has been given to him. And he's going to write and say, these are unsearchable riches, these first three chapters are about what you have because you're a Christian, the deep inheritance that you and I have been given because we're saved. So this is the plea of the sacrificial leader. Will you listen? Verse two, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. What's the meaning of dispensation? That's not a word that we use often. The, the context here of this word is to be a manager of a household or to be the steward of an estate. Paul is saying, I've been entrusted by God. I'm now the steward of this wonderful message, the answer to the mystery. God has given me this message to spread. So I say to you and I say to me, number two, serve faithfully as a steward. Paul here is the manager of this household, so to speak, 
And he's saying, I've been entrusted for you Gentiles. He's saying, it is my God-given mission to make sure that people understand that Gentile believers and Jewish believers are a part of the same body. There's not a wall separating them. Jesus tore that wall down. There's no separation. There's no divide between Jew and Gentile in the church. So when you receive orders, when you receive a charge, a mission, do you take it seriously? Well, I'm going to qualify that for myself, and I'm going to say that depends on who it's from. How about if that mission, that stewardship, is from God? It's from your Savior. Don't you take that, shouldn't we take that very seriously? Shouldn't we throw our whole lives into it? That's what Paul is saying here. The Lord has given me this stewardship of insisting that Jew and Gentile believers are one in the Lord, that they are now one body in Christ. And this charge did not come from a mere man, this mission, this stewardship. The priests in the Old Testament were priests by God, not just priests by men. This is what it says in Hebrews 5, 4. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. The scriptures teach over and over again that your calling wasn't given to you by a mere person. Now I'm thankful for the affirmation of people and the confirmation that people give to a calling, but the calling itself, it comes from the Lord. And because it comes from him, you and I should take it very seriously and we should put our whole heart into whatever God has gifted us to do, shouldn't we? Let's consider Paul's stewardship to reveal the mystery that God had broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile believers. This did not fit Paul's natural desire or his expertise. It did not fit his background. It didn't fit his expectations. Why do I say this? Because Paul had previously been a Pharisee. He himself, of course, was a Jew. I would expect him to minister to the Jews because He had such a heart to see them saved. In fact, in the book of Romans, he speaks of his heart towards his countrymen, towards his fellow Jews. And he says, I would give my soul, not my life, but my soul to see them saved. So for thinking in the ways of mere men, we would say, oh, Paul must be called to preach to the Jews. But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. God sent him to the Gentiles who didn't know hardly anything about the law. They didn't esteem Pharisees. Yet God gave Paul the stewardship of explaining the mystery of Gentile inclusion. God called him to minister to Gentiles primarily. Therefore, we have 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Aren't you glad we do? I am. I bring this up because your stewardship, your gift, your call, will not always fit your natural bent, your expertise, or the desire of your heart. And church leadership has erroneously turned gifting into a natural bent, or into what you enjoy, or what you like, or what you would rather do. And the scripture actually teaches the opposite. Because when the Lord compels you to do something that you'd rather not do, and you follow through, and you actually do it, 
Isn't that wonderful proof that it's from him and, and not from you? It is. I look at Paul. Apart from God, in his own yearnings, he wanted to minister to Jews. And the Lord said, go to the Gentiles. <laughs> He's a Pharisee. He knows the law backwards and forwards. He said, go do this. But Lord, that doesn't fit my expertise. It doesn't fit my expectations. Do you know how often I hear that? When people say, well, that's, that's really not my thing. And sometimes I actually say, good. <laughs> because then God will be glorified and stretch you. But I, I don't know ex precisely what your gift and your calling is necessarily. But I do know that the Lord doesn't keep us right inside our little pretty comfort zone. Oh, how I wish he did. I've experienced this a lot of times. Some of you only know me like in this context. And I shared with the youth just this last week, I was the kid who in school, if I had to give an oral book report, I, I had a stomachache. I would sweat cr like crazy. And I wasn't really a sweaty kid until I had to get up in front. And I would just read from my paper. My mom saw this and she entered me in a speech meet one time. <laughs> and I, I didn't place high. I, I was totally nervous. It was good for me. It pushed me outside of what I needed. Some people say, well, that's just your natural bent. It's not my natural bent. But I'm sure that it's what God has called me to do. And then afterwards, you may look and see, well, it seems to be your natural bent. No, it's my supernatural bent. That truthfully what it is. I hid behind my piano for a long time. And I told God, I might be a piano player, but I'm certainly not a preacher. The Lord works this way in our lives because, do you know this? It's, it's not about you. It takes us so long to figure that out. Some of us never figure that out. And the Lord says, move, Paul, go to the Gentiles. The who? Well, why am I going to them, Lord? They're not, I've got all this background, all this expertise. Let me go to the Pharisees and, and save my brethren. And so Paul goes now with this message to the Gentiles and also to the Jews to make it clear that we should serve faithfully as a steward. Your stewardship is towards the Lord this dispensation, look in verse 2, of the grace of God, this gifting given by God through his grace, given to me for you, Paul says. Let's read a chunk of verses now, verses 3 through 7. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which... I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now, in reading these verses, I should clarify, Paul is not just saying that Gentiles are saved by faith in Jesus the same way that, that Jews are. He is saying that they are a part of the same body. Do you see that? 
that they are fellow heirs. That's a phrase, the same body, fellow heirs. They have been made one bride, there's no divide. Now go to verse nine. And to make all see what is the mystery, what is the fellowship of the mystery. So this is about fellowship in Christ between two groups. It's about koinonia. It's about close fellowship between Jew and Gentile in the Lord. A prideful Jew would call Gentiles dogs. That was the common terminology of the prideful Jew towards the Gentile. They viewed Gentiles as savages. And in many ways, the Gentile nations did act as savages. They acted like dogs. Dogs don't have a lot of morals. In the way that dogs, have you noticed when dogs get together, they always try to decide who the boss is. They like sniffing at each other and like, who's going to be the boss? That's what cracks me up about little dogs. They pull it off sometimes. They're really little and they convince the big dog that they're the boss and they are for a while. But they've got this dominance thing happening, that's for sure, right? That was the Gentile world, conquering nations, subduing, right? Also in the context of morality. Dogs just aren't on a power trip, which a lot of them are, trying to figure out who's in charge. But the self-control is not there for a dog. Let's put it that way. Like they're just living according to their desires. And so this was a derogatory term when it came to Jews referring to Gentiles. So this is a big wall that's being broken down. Today, we think of dogs as just being lovable and wonderful. They're, they're, they're cuddly to us. They're our friends. They're so faithful. That's not the kind of dog that the Jews were talking about. They're talking about the mangy mutt. I even now see lots of hats and shirts. They say like dog mom on somebody's hat, right? The idea that a dog would become a part of the family was just unthinkable. The first time I saw the dog mom hat, I remember we were in Yellowstone and we took a short hike away from the truck. And these people who were parked next to us started, hey, the crows are breaking into your duffel bag in, in the back of your truck. They've got your toboggan. And I was thinking to myself, I don't remember putting a plastic sled in the back of my truck. I guess in the South, they call your a beanie a toboggan sometimes. I had never heard that before. And I get there, and these people are trying to wrestle with the crows. They're taking our stuff out of our luggage. And, and the, the wife has this dog mom hat on, right? And there's her dog sitting in the front seat. And you know it's true, literally smiling. You see dogs smile? He's like, I shouldn't be here, but I am, right? <laughs> here I am. I mean, they, they have that look on their face, like, I'm a dog, and I'm in the front seat, right? <laughs> Unthinkable to a Jew that a mangy, immoral savage would be called in to be a part of the family. And that's really what God is saying here, that there's no barrier, reviewing chapter two, there's no divide in the family of God in regards to Jew and Gentile. Will you get this through your head? This was a complete revolution for the Jew to see that all the various nations would be to them, were to them, brothers and sisters. Now, the Jews understood 
that Gentiles could follow Judaism. And I don't think I've made this very clear in the past. They understood what it took to become a proselyte. Because in the temple, were there, was there not the court of the Gentiles? But it was, yes, you can worship the one true God in your own space. You can worship the one true God as a second-class citizen. But let's make this clear. You're not on the same level as we are. That was the mentality given over, that was the Jews were given over to. God is saying that there is to be fellowship, close oneness, one body between the Jew and the Gentile believers. And that's the message that Paul is proclaiming. That's the truth. That barrier has been broken down. Now, so how do we apply this today? Point number three, break barriers that separate believers. God has already broken down the barriers, yet we put them back up sometimes. Yes, there's still a lot of animosity between the Jewish people and Gentile nations. But I think most of us are not only open to the Jewish people, but we're eager for that. Um, And this is not just talking about nations, it's talking about Jewish believers and Gentile believers being one. And we're eager to see those who have Jewish heritage be saved the same way that we are. So part of the application for us is, do we treat some Christians like second-class citizens? Maybe the divide is different, but have we put up a barrier when it comes to some believers, and do we treat them in this manner, the manner that says, yeah, I'm fine with you sitting in church with me, but I'm not gonna have a meaningful conversation with you. I'm, I'm okay with being in the same place for a little while and singing some songs and listening to the word, but I'm not gonna invite you over to my house. I'm not gonna invest in your life. Do you see that how the barriers go up? We should constantly be breaking down the barriers in the body that keep popping up. You know, you might be saved, but but you're not my friend. And this is pervasive in the body of Christ. The church, I'm sorry to say, I'm telling you something that you already know, gets really clicky. And I admit, we hang around with the people that are serving the same way that we are. That's not necessarily wrong. But do we get to the place where we start to be exclusive instead of inclusive? We draw those lines and we say, you can serve God. You can be a part of his kingdom. I have a problem with that, but just don't get too close to me. Has our way of life gotten too separate, too segregated, too choosy? Many people have the mentality that says, I don't have a problem with God but I certainly have a problem with people. (laughs) And that isn't consistent with the Bible. (laughs) Those are barriers that I put up. And we have to keep knocking those barriers down over and over again. Because we're people that are prone to the flesh. We must walk in the spirit and be very intentional about breaking barriers that separate believers. Verse 3 and 4 point out that this joining was already detailed earlier in the letter. It's called a mystery because people didn't know how God was going to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together in one body. How did God do it? How did God break down those barriers? How did he reveal the mystery? 
Well, it tells us in verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages was hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. God made Jew and Gentile one. God broke down the barriers in the body of Christ through his unsearchable riches. Those are the unsearchable riches of his grace. That unsearchable. I looked that one up like, what is he talking about? It means unable to trace the footprints of. That means God worked in a way that we, we can't even get to the bottom of how he did it. And we don't need to get to the bottom of how he did it. But he broke down that barrier through his unsearchable riches, through the riches of his grace. Far be it from us to put it back up again in any way, shape, or form. We may pat ourselves on the back because we're open to Jewish people being believers, but is that the only barrier that we put up? God did not break down that barrier by giving a command or by giving a law. It couldn't be broken that way. He broke down the barrier with his love the unsearchable riches of his grace by giving his life on the cross for us. That's a reason for people to be together, to get rid of their separatist mentality. I'm going to be honest with you. If it were not for Jesus giving his life to break down the barrier, I, was, I wouldn't be open to it. But now that he's told me clearly that that barrier was broken by him, he is our peace who has broken down every wall. Is it reasonable to hold on to clicky Christianity in light of the cross of Christ? It's not. Break down those barriers. That happens through action because we can say in our minds, well, I'm not clicky. I'm not selective. I'm not just keeping to myself and the people that I like so much. But the reality is in our actions. It's in our conversations. It's where we invest our time. It's when we open our homes. It's when we make those phone calls. It's when we reach out and serve. That's the proof that we're not putting the barriers back up again. To the intent, this is verse 10, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So it says manifold here. If you're a mechanic, you know what an automotive manifold is. If, if you're in, you understand pipes, irrigation, plumbing, well, what's a manifold? Well, it's that when that pipe or that chamber branches off, right, in different directions. So the manifold has like, is it called the trunk, the main part, right? And then it's got many different sections. So what is manifolds in the verse that we just read? God's wisdom. You see, people thought that God was working in a certain way and only that way before, but then he revealed the manifold wisdom, which shows that he wanted Jew and Gentile to be one in faith in Jesus Christ. Our, our old house, it had a, a very old irrigation system, an underground cistern, and then it would run to various places and I would put water in there 
and I couldn't find the water. It's like the water was going in, but I didn't think it was going out anywhere. I'm like, that doesn't make sense, right? It's just flowing, right? And where is it? It's not here. It's not there. These are the two branches, I think. They're the only branches. But reasonably, I was thinking, those can't be the only branches. Then I went to the front yard, and there was this little rock pond there. It's just filling up with water, right? Unexpected that the manifold had another branch in it. So Paul is using this as an example, and the Romans were very familiar with all their aqueducts and the way they, they moved water throughout the empire. There's a branch here that people did not see. It was a mystery to them, and that is the bringing in of the Gentiles through faith to make them one in Christ with Jews. There's something else really interesting about verse 10. And this is our fourth action, announce the answer to angels. This verse is saying that the church taught the angels the answer to the mystery. That God intended, isn't that what it says at the beginning of the verse? To reveal the mystery in this manner. To give the answer to the mystery to the church, that's the apostles, right? And that the angels, the powers and the principalities in heavenly places would learn about it through us. Doesn't that seem backwards compared to the way God usually does things? Did the Lord not send an angel to Mary and to Joseph and say, this is what's going to happen with the Christ child? Will not an angel fly through the heavens during the great tribulation and, and deliver a message? In fact, angels, their job is to be messengers. But in this case of the mystery, the mystery was revealed in reverse. That means he made it known to people. He made it known to his church how he was going to bring Jew and Gentile together. And it literally means that the other creatures, the other powers of heaven, even the high-ranking ones, were going, you're kidding me. Why didn't you tell us? Wow! We didn't know you were going to create the church by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring together all people, not just that they would be saved in the same way, but that they would be together, united, one bride with no divide. So announce the answer to angels. No barriers. The angels are learning from us in this case, learning from the teaching of the apostles. Now they clearly know the intention of God. Our last two verses, 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So look at the phrases and the words. I see eternal purpose. I see he accomplished. I also see boldness and confidence. So this does not at all mean that we shouldn't fear God because the Lord is powerful. It doesn't at all mean that the Lord doesn't require justice. It doesn't mean that we should take our access to granted because that's for granted. That's a wonderful gift that we'd received. But in our reverence of the access that we have to God, that we should understand why we are in God's presence. When I see access in the word, in this verse, it means I get to be in the presence of God. I get to hear his voice. I get to know his heart. 
and he hears my prayers. But now I learn that that access isn't just my intention, but it's God's purpose, his eternal purpose, and that he is the one that accomplished that access. So you and I don't come into the throne of grace, the throne room of grace, in our own boldness or with our own confidence. We come in because we are confident that he has accomplished our access because it is according to his eternal purpose. We often think of boldness as being something personal. That person is bold. We often think of confidence in the same way, don't we? That person is confident. But we must back up and say, why do you have confidence? It's not because of yourself. Why do you have boldness? It's not because that's a personality trait, necessarily. It's because he has accomplished It's because it is according to his eternal purpose that you be united with him right in his presence. Jew and Gentile alike, for anyone who will believe, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the confidence, that's the boldness. Not a self-confidence, not a personal boldness, but a boldness because I know that all along the Lord plans, and we've learned about before the foundations of the world, he knew that I would be his child, that you would be his child. So now the boldness and the confidence to be with him, to access his presence is indeed a great confidence, is indeed a mighty boldness. Ephesians chapter two, verse 18, if you back up, said, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. I'll read you a proverb about confidence. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. If you come across as confidence, let that confidence be in Christ. If you come across as bold, let that not just be a boldness on your own, but a boldness that says, I know the Lord's plans for me. I know his eternal purpose. So far be it from me, to not use that access. Point number five is boldly use your access. I threw an adverb in front of the action there. Don't just use your access to God, but come to the Lord just in awe and say, Lord, you made this way for me. I didn't make my way. This is according to your eternal purpose. You accomplished it. And now I get to have fellowship with you. I've appealed to you many times. I appeal to you again. Use that relationship with God today. Use it this week. Be in fellowship with him more today than you were yesterday. Walk near to him, for he has drawn you near by his very blood. When we gather together, that's one of the things that we're reminding each other of, isn't it? Do you know what you have? We say, yes, I have Jesus. Are you walking with him? Are you using your access Or have you and I started to establish habits that are pulling us away from the very best one in the world for us? The only one that can save, the only one who keeps, the only one who delivers perfect wisdom and grace. That access comes through faith in him. Those are the last four words in verse 12, aren't they? Faith. If you are without Christ today, This is not complicated. 
Place your faith in him as Lord. It is not easy, but it isn't complicated. It's you surrendering your life to him. We know what it means to surrender, to say, I'm not fighting back, right? <laughs> Whatever you say, I'll do it. That, that's the heart towards the Lord Jesus. You took my sin, you forgave me, and I'm surrendering my life to you. I believe that you are risen from the grave. My life belongs to you. I am not my own. Through faith in him, coming in and now having that access. Today can be your first day of access for the rest of your life. The best access by far that you'll ever have. So the actions are clear for us as Christians. Listen. And did you finish that topic, number one? Listen to the sacrificial leader's plea. Number two, serve. Serve how? Faithfully. Faithfully. As a steward and realizing God, I want to be faithful because God gave me this job. Next one is break. That's an action. Break barriers that separate believers. Is anything separating believers? The Lord already broke down that barrier. Don't let it pop back up again. Announce the answer to angels. Make it clear to them. We're not ranked like you guys are, the principalities and powers, this hierarchy. We're one in the Lord. And boldly use your access. What a precious treasure it is to walk with Jesus. Father God, you teach us new things all the time by your word. And I thank you for those truths that when we look at your word more deeply, there's, there's always something that we learn to grow. There's something that we learn so that we can just stand in awe of who you are, Lord. The way you've revealed yourself to us is truly amazing. It's, it's beyond what we would ever expect. Lord, but I don't just thank you for the so-called new stuff. I thank you for the reminders of the way I'm supposed to be towards you. I thank you for the, the way you, you pull, you tug at my heart with the familiar voice, Lord, the voice that is only yours, spoken in your word. And I pray that each of us would listen to you speak to us, Lord, that we'd be open, open access, open using the access to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we walk with, with joy. We walk with confidence because of you, not because of ourselves. I pray for each believer in this place that that would be true of them. And I also pray if any have not yet given their lives that their action would be to believe upon the name of Jesus, their desire that, that they would answer the drawing that you are doing in their lives. We worship you now in song, Jesus, we pray. Amen.